perspective on English Premier League soccer with hosts Brad Tyndall, Jimmy Karn, and Mike Steenstra. Uh, yep, yep, I'm, I've got mine going just now. Cool. Alright, yeah, I'm all, I'm all ready to go. All right, man. Welcome back. Thank you. Great Thank to have you. you on. Thanks for coming back. I'm glad we didn't scare you out of here uh, after the first time you came on. <laughs> no, dude, it was great. The first time I was on, I had a great time, and I've been looking, looking forward to coming back on ever since. So thanks for having me. Yeah, and we feel uh, we feel thankful for you coming on because you seem like a big deal now. You're writing. I, I see the blog posts every week, uh, some gambling information for anybody out there. And then uh, also for the ICC. So tell me, tell me about what you're writing about. Yeah. So the blog is, you know, the same old work I uh, write about the Premier League and the, the biggest games kind of around Europe and the Champions League um, with a gambling twist. Had a tough day today. Um, it happens. I actually was like going into the 80th minute of all the Champions League games today. It was looking like unbelievable. It was almost like, oh, this is too good to be true. There's too much time left. All these games are going to change scores. So. Sadly, a couple goals went against me and kind of screwed me. But uh, were you watching and, uh, any of the games in particular today? Yeah, so I had Inter Dortmund on one screen, and then I had Barca Pl- uh, Prague on the other screen. So uh, um, huh. I, I nailed Inter, so I'm happy about that. But I needed Barca to score another goal, and they just didn't look good enough. But um, they have not looked good enough all season. It's so, far. so weird. I was. I, Watching the game, it was like they don't have a game plan, and whenever they get pressured and like the other team has the ball, they just don't know how to win the ball back and defend. It's 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 weird seeing them just like rattled and on defense are just brutal. So I, I don't think Valverde is the answer, but we can kind of maybe get into that in, in a bit. And then I also write for the ICC International Champions Cup. Um, I did most of this summer. I kind of took a little bit of a break, but they they're bringing me back and. Uh, keep your eye out for a new column they're having me do of kind of Americans abroad with giving updates each week. So if you ever wonder about, uh, you know, the big Americans playing in Europe, well, I'll kind of give you updates week by week. So that's cool. neat. And I, and I follow them on uh, Instagram. They're putting out some great stuff. So yeah, yeah, that's cool. So that's a good opportunity. Did you attend a USMNT game with them? Did I see? No. So I attended. Um, they sent me down to follow Arsenal in Charlotte when they played Fiorentina. Oh, neat. And then they sent me to D.C. for the Real Madrid-Arsenal game. That's um, awesome. Dude, I was in the press box. I got to ask Zidane and Emery questions. What'd you um, ask him? So I asked Emery some general like lineup questions. You went to three at the back to start the game. You switched to four at the back to end the game. Is that any sign of what you're going to do this year? Stuff like that lineup questions, stuff, just general. And then when it came to asking Zidane, I was, I've never been more terrified in my entire life. Of course, that bald man's scary. And it was (laughs) so intimidating. It was in the middle of all the bail stuff. And then Asensio tears his ACL. So he's just pissed. And a pissed Zidane, we all know, you don't want to mess with. And, you know, it's intense. We're in the press press room and 
everyone's asking questions in different languages. It comes to me, he doesn't speak English. It comes to me and I ask him a question in English. I basically asked him, I was like, all the subs, including bail that you put on at halftime, was that pre-planned or once Asensio got hurt, did you basically just say, let's get, let's just get two shifts in here. Sure. And he answered in Spanish and I, I grew up around Spanish. My family speaks Spanish. I had no idea what he said. I was just shaking. We were looking each other in the eyes. I was like, holy shit, Zidane is speaking to me right now. I was like, I don't <laughs> care if he's telling me to go fuck myself. This is so special. So, That's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. That's an awesome opportunity. It was pretty sweet. I so. do have, I, uh, I actually did interview Kevin Durant myself one time. No way. Same thing. I was just like shitting bricks. I don't remember what I said. Like, <laughs> I'm kind of a puss in general. Like, it took me a while to get comfortable yeah. to talking to NBA players. Yeah. What were you doing but talking it sounds to like, NBA players? Uh, I used to write for a Jap. I still write for a Japanese outlet, but it used to be a Japanese basketball magazine. That is And electric. basically the gig was just interviews, though. And also there is a guy, Yuta Watanabe, who's on Memphis Grizzlies, or mostly the hustle. He's on a two-way deal with them. Yeah. But he's a Japanese guy that played in D.C., so I covered him as well. But, That's uh, awesome. Yeah, so I have been in the press box situation. It's unreal. Like it's, you're probably yeah, it's crazy. Say, did you see some big writers? So not necessarily a ton of big writers. So John Cross, who works for the Mirror, he's got like three hundred thousand Twitter followers. That's a lot. We're waiting outside the Real Madrid locker room, and all the players are walking by, and this guy's standing next to me. He looks legit. Right, and I'm just some dude who's down here for the weekend, you know, like, <laughs> writing, like, a soccer game. Having the time drive. of your life. Yeah. yeah, I'm, like, he's, like, trying to get interviews from Hazard. I'm just, like, snapping photos and videos of, like, <laughs> Bale and Modric and all these people. It's um, insane. I can't imagine yeah. even seeing these people up close. I, I don't know. Shocking. NBA seems more touchable. Yeah. Soccer, like, I don't even, I don't know. They seem totally. larger than life. Yeah, and they feel like they're impossible to get to. Like, you'll never think you'll ever meet these guys or see these guys in person. And Did you talk thing... to... Sorry, go. Yeah, I actually talked to a lot of the Arsenal squad. I talked to Ozil, Shaka, Nketia, Lacazette, um, Kalasinic, Monreal. I didn't speak to Aubameyang. I was bummed about that. But it was just cool. I was That's like, a nice lineup, though. Yeah, dude, it was awesome. And I got a photo <laughs> with Socrates. Well, I got a selfie cool. with Bellerin, which was unbelievable. I, so Bellerin's walking by, and I'm like, yo, can I ask you a question? He goes, no. I'm like, can I get a <laughs> selfie? He's like, okay. I'm like, really? Yes, really? Dude, Good for man. you. So we snapped a selfie, and then an Arsenal official came up and was like, you cannot take photos. I was like, too late. Like, Sorry, man. I'm a fan <laughs> first. Yeah, I was like, this That's may a- have a... I never get when they're they are so upset about writers being fans because people are uptight about that in the NBA community too. Dude, it's, like, it's crazy. Cares, I took a journalism ethics class in college, and it's like a huge deal. Like you mm. can't. It, it just because all of a sudden the integrity of what you're doing might seem biased, and then all of a sudden you're getting into just biased journalism, and that's like a whole slippery slope they don't want to. Yeah, but I feel like if you're writing stories about the person to get them to get yeah. to know them on a, on a personal level, but exactly. what do I know? I don't yeah. know anything. Look at us, dude. We're just fucking. <laughs> what about uh, Real? Do you see a couple of those guys? Uh, yeah, none them? of them stop for questions. Um, Interesting. None of them stop, but yeah, I was within arm's reach of every single one of them, which was cool. And who are the other two teams you saw? It was just Arsenal, Fiorentina, and Real Madrid. Yeah. 
What was Fiorentina like? Fiorentina was cool. They all smelled really fucking good walking by. Like huh. the Italian, like soccer players all smelled like like Gucci cologne. I was like, That's just hilarious. getting wops in my face. Um, huh. But yeah, I mean, it was cool that none of them stopped or talked to anyone because they didn't really know English. Um, yeah. Huh. And I didn't know Italian and we didn't have a translator. So I was like, this is just kind of, this is going to happen. And I feel like, they're like, you're America. We don't need to stop and talk to you. That's um, sad. Arsenal, though, did because Arsenal has a huge base that they're trying to really grow in America. So they're like, and they're kind of having more fun with it. Real Madrid and Fiorentino were walking by and they were just like all business. Arsenal was like kind of like having fun, like soccer Which you should. Yeah, you're in the right? U.S. on like a little preseason tour. What's the big deal? I, enjoy your time. Yeah. Like Socrates got a Panthers jersey when I was in Charlotte. He huh. slings it over his shirt, and I was telling him, like, model it. So he's like, we're taking photos of him, like, <laughs> this jersey says Socrates, the Panthers jersey. But, like, they were cool. Everyone else kind of sucked, but the experience huh. was pretty awesome. I can't lie. I think Arsenal has one I, – I, someone could fact-check me on this, but I think they're the biggest fan base in the U.S. I think it's them and Liverpool are the two uh, best – best fan bases and maybe united but yeah arsenal have been unbelievable i know the arsenal bar in philly here is just nuts and oh really my brother's an arsenal fan so, so shout out to my brother you know i was choosing between them and tottenham when i was picking but yeah but i, I have to they, them now, you took so. you took the dark side i guess right <laughs> <laughs> not not in my opinion it was it i took like the crazy pill which matches my lifestyle so yeah i guess <laughs> i guess man that, that's but uh, you're, you guys are kind of on crazy pills this year Oh Man City, a little bit. It's kind of all over the place. Um, it feels like our season's been bad, yet our last, like, six games, we're, like, or seven games, we're, like, 6-1 and one with a plus 18 goal differential or something. And, like, we're playing really well. It's just the fact that we've slipped a couple times and Liverpool just hadn't lost yet, so... You had two um, interesting losses, Norwich oh, City, Lord. and then who was, you just lost the Wolves, right? Yeah, Norwich City won, and they both kind of made sense. Like, we didn't deserve to win either game. Norwich I watched City, the Norwich game. Yeah, I, dude, I was in a resort in Florida with coworkers, and they had to watch me completely lose my mind over a soccer game at, like, noon. Um, and Penn State was playing Pitt, so I'm a big Penn State guy. So I've got two just nightmare scenarios going on right now, and I'm it's like noon while I'm on vacation, and I'm like visibly like emotionally stressed. But the Norwich game was weird. They just took it to us. They said we'd we'd rather lose, like it's we're okay with losing five nothing here. We're just gonna try to nick a result off you if that's the sacrifice. And they did. I mean, the game plan was basically, we're going to press you. We're not going to allow you to get any flow. You're not going to get an early goal. And then whenever we get a set piece or a counterattack, we're going to act like it's our only chance. Yeah. And they did. Yes, it did. And it worked. And Timu Puki. Holy <laughs> crap, man. You don't want that guy getting in behind. He just finishes everything. Yeah. That um, game at home at Carra Road, from a neutral perspective, that was a fun watch, though. 3-2. I'll be honest. Winning, giant, that place was going upset. Nuts, and you Looks just had cool. to respect it. It was just yeah. like good, for, good for you. Um, but then you buzzsawed Watford in like the scariest city game I've ever watched in my life. Oh, was it five was nothing? It, like twenty minutes in or whatever yeah. it was. Sterling had a hat trick twenty minutes in, right? Yeah, it was just like okay, all right, we're back. It restored order for me, but at the same time, it was kind of like I don't. It's like the stock market. I don't like. I don't need it going up and down every day. 
I'd rather just have constant growth, constant success, 2 nothing, 3 nothing, 2 nothing, 3 nothing. That's what you're like, used to. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> then, like, one day we're losing to Norwich. The next day we're beating Watford 8 nothing. So I wanted 10, but, you know, can't get too greedy. I thought you were going to get it. I th- Honestly, we had enough time. I mean, it was like 5 or 6 by half, so why not get to 10? But, you know. And then how are you guys doing in Champions League? Can't complain. 3-0. Uh, yesterday 3-0. was a little shysty. We went down one nothing early to Atalanta because of a penalty, but we go up what, and win 5-1. or something? Yeah, 5-1 five five and a Sterling hat-trick, and he also had an assist. So um, I, it's weird, man. I used to, like last year with City, I'd go into a game and be like, cool, we're going to score in the next in the first three minutes, and then we're going to score again before halftime, and then at that point, <laughs> you're just going to be suffocated to death and we're going to kill you. Now it's like, I have no idea how the first 20 minutes are going to go. We're actually probably going to concede early and then have to fight our way back. It's so, terrible. And then That's the life as a Tottenham fan, right? Right. There. Like I can't even really complain. <laughs> Your situation. I mean, did you see? First of all, did you see the Amazon documentary? No, I have not. Is well, it did out? You hear, did you hear about it? Yeah, I've heard about it. Tottenham, it does, it's they're following the season, right? It's not going to come out. So the city documentary didn't come out till like midsummer after okay. the game, or after the all season. Right. So expect it like in June or July. Uh, I, I wonder what they're even going to like. What? Like, this is going to be amazing TV. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this early early season struggles. And oh, my gosh. Poach out? Like, like what? It's what a, yeah, it's where are you with that? A, Tell me a little bit about what you, oh, where you stand. Oh, I mean, both of us on the podcast are very pro-Pochettino just because you look at what the club was before he got there. Mm-hmm. And to turn on them this quickly in the season with the injuries they've had and the two big signings they have have not played it. Except Lacelso, like a little bit. Cesegiano, yeah. right back, hasn't played. Um, obviously, the results are scary. Yeah, don't get me wrong, but um, I what think. Do you, go ahead. I think the second half of Watford and this game, they played very well. They played very well. Crystal Palace, the Bayern Munich game was honestly like a, and I think it was a VAR overturned call away from it being a closer game. But, I agree. Um, I don't know. It is what it is. Eight games in the season. What can you expect? We're not going to win the league, but I would like top six, some European football. Yeah, that's kind of exactly. what I'm going for. And I don't think you guys aren't that far off, right? We're not. I mean, you're we're really not. We're right sitting, outside of fourth. Yeah, you're you're, well, you're in seventh, but you're but three points, points off of of cracking the top five. So yeah. like, you're not that Fine. far off. I mean, you could be United, who's in fourteenth, and seven yeah. points off. They're closer to the bottom than they are the top four. So. Um, Did yeah. you watch that Manchester United-Liverpool game? I actually, so I was in State College this past weekend for the Penn State-Michigan game, um, and I was driving back trying to get to the Union playoff games. I had tickets uh, while the United-Liverpool game was going on. So I was following along on my phone while driving in the rain, which is extremely dangerous. I don't recommend <laughs> doing that. <laughs> extremely hungover and very tired. Um but I did watch the highlights and kind of got a good grip. It seems like your classic United-Liverpool game where it's like you don't know what's going to happen going into it. No one should have thought that Liverpool was going to run away with it. It just doesn't. I read something that their last goal from open play at Old Trafford before that game was in 2015 when Benteke scored. Ooh. I don't even know who that is. That's before I started watching. Yeah, I mean, Christian Benteke 
who was on their team. It was like Benteke, Balotelli, and someone else on Liverpool at the time, and they were sixth, fifth place pretty consistently from the years of 20, 2014 to like 2016. Mm. Um, they were in a lot of trouble until they got Klopp, really. But yeah, and I read something that like in Klopp's nine games against United, he's won twice, I think. Yeah. So like, yeah. I, United I saw were, something like that. Yeah, United were one goal underdogs. I was like, at home, I'm gonna take that. They didn't have Salah either, so I'm gonna take that. But um, you can kind of tell Liverpool are really good, but if they start getting injured, they're really screwed. We've talked about that on the podcast yeah. a bunch, actually. They're yeah. thin, and they looked thin against Manchester United. I caught that whole game, and I mean. <laughs> Yeah, without Salah, he brings a lot. And Origi just is nothing close to what he is. Yeah, like, Origi, Origi has his moments and had his moments last year, obviously. We a lot all remember of those goals. <laughs> um, but, like, he's not a sustainable striker. You can't put Origi out there for 25 games and expect him to get more than 10 goals. It's just not yeah. going to happen. Um, Salah, Firmino, and Mane, when they're all healthy, they're unbelievable. But if one's gone, you have to toss in, like, a Lalana or Origi in there. You don't know how that's going to go. If all like uh, Alexander Arnold missed this week because I think he had the flu. Um, if you start losing a couple of your center backs, I mean, I don't want injuries, and I really mean like I would hate for Virgil Van Dyke to get hurt. He's so amazing. I love watching him play. But if like Van Dyke goes down, they're fucked. They're going to be stuck with like Gomez and Matip at center back, Ooh. and and all of a yeah, sudden you're thin. Yeah, and then they're midfield, thin. and it's it's so it's you know it. You guys it, are not thin. No, but. <laughs> Did the Laporte uh, – I, I got a couple questions. Did yes. the Laporte injury affect you guys? Is that why you're losing some games here? Laporte injury was horrendous because – and it was clear in the two losses we had. The Norwich game, we're stuck with Stones and Otamendi. Otamendi was directly responsible for two of the goals. Interesting. Dr- directly responsible. Uh, Laporte, not only is he an amazing center back defensively, but – on the ball, he actually tends to sometimes have the most touches of any city player on the field and wow. usually has the highest pass accuracy of any city player almost every single game. That's so fantastic. It's almost like when you don't have him in there and you have Otamendi, if Otamendi gets the ball and we're building out the back, they're going to press. Then all of a sudden we're rush passing and then we sure. clear it so we can't. You're tottening him. Exactly. <laughs> And then when we're trying to defend, Otamendi just dives in and steps at the wrong time, isn't a patient defender, and Laporte just has all those qualities. So I, I think that Laporte injury was kind of what everyone thought the De Bruyne injury would be last year, where it's like, Ooh. oh, he's gone. They're not going to be the same city. Right. That's what everyone said last year about De Bruyne leaving. And in reality, we could plug a lot of different people in that position and we'd be okay. Laporte's injury is like... It's just, it's really not good. You guys, tell me more about your depth, too, because you have some serious, serious depth off the bench. Yeah, we have some ridiculous depth. The problem is our depth in center back can be tough if we're missing missing a guy like Laporte. The last two games, our center backs have been Fernandinho and Rodri. Mm. We've started seven center midfielders in our last two games. Or seven midfielders in our last two games, right? Like, that's not good. And, yeah, if we're having the ball for 75% of the game, they're really not going to be doing much defending. Problem is, is, like, Fernandinho gave up a penalty in the the Champions League game this week. Had a couple really bad fouls. He's using tactical fouls as a center back, which means that's an easy yellow and different red if you're the last defender. So it's, it's bad at the back. But with that being said, outside back, you have four outside backs that could start at any moment. Left back, 
Zinchenko, and Mendy. Right back, Cancelo and Walker. Uh, the center and midfield, you have anyone from Silva, Rodri, Kevin De Bruyne, Bernardo Silva, Phil Foden. Um, Foden, the, he's Fernandinho. 19. Jimmy wanted me to ask you about him. Yeah, I'll get to him in a second. Right. Um, and then up top, you have five guys who can rotate. Aguero, Jesus, Mares, Bernardo Silva, and Sterling. That I mean, the <laughs> fact that nice. we have a, like a 16-man team that we can just kind of plug and chug is like unbelievable and something yeah. I try not to take for granted. But and why circle, you can compete seriously everywhere. Yeah. I mean, that's why we won competition. Right, three major trophies last year is because yeah. we, we, we have the legs, we have the depth. Problem is, is that... Could have won four. <laughs> Could have won four. Fuck you. Um, <laughs> VAR, huh? Uh, um, I mean, it, they were, listen, the, the, calls were, the calls were correct. So I'm not mad about the calls. I'm just mad about like how it all happened. Just was yeah. the worst. But anyway, um, Foden, this kid is unbelievable. He yesterday had created four ch- major chances in the game. No one in the last 10 years in the Champions League has created five. So he mm-hmm. currently is tied for the most chances created in the Champions League game in the last decade. Is he 19? 19. Is he an English international? He's an English international, and he's a total Man City product. He's been a Man City player since Uh, he was six. Um, Cool. So he's. Did I see that he's in loan potential, though? Like, are they thinking of loaning him? So the past couple weeks, he hasn't been getting a ton of time. And I think, and live podcasting here, NYCFC just tied up Toronto 1 1. Ooh. Winner take all at City Field. Oh my God! I'm praying this goes like 120 <laughs> minutes into penalties. Toronto wins. The Union. Win I want to get fully into MLS playoffs actually because oh, I've been dude, it's, it's paying attention. Well, at least. You know, what? we'll circle back towards the end because I was okay. at the Union game and that was insane. So I'll, yeah, I'll I want to hear sure about to that. Talk about that. Yeah. Um, but I think we were talking about Foden. Foden, yeah, and uh, transfer. Yeah, and loan. So people were saying he's not getting enough time. You know, Pep, if you're not going to play him, don't waste his talent. Send him somewhere he's going to play. Pep's like, we're going to get him to play. He's already played a couple of times. There's just a lot of people. There's a lot of – we have so many so games much talent. in the season and yeah. there's so much talent. Like, I relax. Like, I'm, I'm going to get him his time. Yeah. Uh, and he started against um, Atalanta this week. And I could see Pep starting him again possibly this weekend. Um Aston Villa, yeah, Aston you guys kind of got a lower, lower team there. Yeah, Villa at home is like the is the is the game we need, and then Liverpool plays Spurs, and I don't yeah, know. I don't know. Fun. It, it could be interesting. You know, I think Manchester United at twelve is only two points off a of seven. It's all it's all bunched up. It's still so early still. What do you mean in uh, points? Oh yeah, they're they're two points off a of seven, but they're also two points off of. The last relegation spot. Yeah. So, and then who they play. I just don't see it happening. They're too no, good. me neither. But at the same time, if they can stay down there as long as possible, <laughs> I'm not going to complain. I That's fucking fair. hate them. Um, Are they your most hated? Yeah, for sure. Huh. Um, I don't hate Liverpool. I just hate Liverpool fans. Hmm, uh, yeah. I think they're just ridiculous and kind of delusional. City fans aren't that much better, but um, you know United I don't just, mind you guys. I, I just I don't know why. Probably because I grew up a Yankees fan, and you yeah. got like Yankees vibes. 
yeah. right now. Well, yeah, we, yeah, or like Golden State Warrior kind of vibes. You know what I mean? Sure, sure. I just I came to the sport late, so I, like when I came <laughs> in, it was two years ago, and you guys were just like domination. Yeah, yeah. That did not happen for 45 sure. years. So. Yeah, yeah. You guys had DeMarcus Beasley on your team at one Dude, point, so you couldn't have been yeah. that good. We were in the third division in the late 90s. So Really? Yeah. Huh. And then, uh, but anyway, um, yeah, I, I hate United. If they can stay down there as long as, as long as possible, I greatly appreciate that. But, I mean, their issues are everywhere. They can't find a manager that will work with these players. They had Jose Mourinho, who I think is one of the best managers in decades, on their team, and the players didn't want to play for him because he was too tough, basically. They didn't gel huh. with the manager. So that's why they brought in Solskjaer, who was a kind of player's coach, and deal with younger millennial-type talent, which Mourinho kept saying, these kids are the problem. That's why we're not playing well. <laughs> and then it went well, but I actually said uh, on a podcast that I thought Mourinho or Solskjaer would be fired uh, by late November, early December. Um like before the season in my season prediction, because uh-huh. this team just, they're just, they're made up Bad. of a bunch of individuals <laughs> and they just can't play and they have no like idea how to play the game the right way. I think and Pogba is so overrated. Really? See, I see. Oh, it's hard because he's that's so a, That's good. a hot take. It is. <laughs> he's so good, but he's just not cohesive yeah he's like not it's hard to play with him yeah it's weird because you watch him play for france and you're like this guy is one of the best players in the world you watch him play for juve you're like this guy's one of the best players in the world but then when he's playing around players that aren't as good he can't thrive so like in a way he's really good but he might need to surround himself with talent in order to be like great international soccer is a whole different beast as well i mean look at the u.s yeah like the u.s could have a ton of really good young talent but they can't even beat fucking Canada. What's your take on USMNT at this very moment? Oh, gosh. Um, there's so many things to digest. I'll, I'll narrow it down to a couple points. The first point is Greg Berhalter is trying to establish a system that does not work at the international level. The system of playing out the back, developing a chance, kind of controlling the ball, pressing a little bit, which can work in an international football. The problem is, is you get these guys for two weeks at a time. And they're coming from an entirely different system that they've been playing at their club. They have to readjust and go to an entirely new system, and they have to learn it four days before they play their first game. And it's not – they're not going to – you can't just – it's just – it's hard to do that when you're already training every week for months at a time. You get them in once in a blue moon, it's hard to drive that into players. The other Mm -hmm. thing is we don't have a set starting lineup, so he's all of a sudden rotating a bunch of different players into these systems, and not enough guys are getting enough minutes in the system in real Mm -hmm. gameplay, so they can't catch a rhythm. The other thing is our recruiting and our talent is brutal because we're ignoring like unbelievable Latino talent in this country, and they're all saying, well, my parents are Mexican. I'm going to play for Mexico. There's a kid named Jonathan Gonzalez. I don't know if you're familiar with him. He played through the U.S. youth national team his whole life. And then the second he could have been cap-tied, which basically means you play for uh, the country in an international game, you get you have to play for that team for the rest of your life. He chose Mexico because we kept ignoring him in playing in the senior team. He said, if you're going to ignore me, I'm going to go to Mexico. Now he's playing for Mexico, and he's really fucking good. So it, it's kind of like we keep shooting ourselves in the foot. And now... 
honestly, I'm, my expectations are so low for this team that I don't expect to make the World Cup now. I just don't. So I, it's stressful because we have the talent. We're just not utilizing it the right way. It's, it's a lot of MLS guys, though. It is way too many MLS guys. And I get why. I get why. I mean, he's an MLS we don't guy. Have, he is an MLS guy, but I mean, our talent pool is thin. <laughs> it's would, thin. I would say. Yeah, but at the same time, it's almost like we. It's almost like we shouldn't even be focusing on the talent pool as much as how do we create a talent pool, right? Well, if we yeah. Keep, if we keep like look at Jordan Morris. He's for me. He's like patient zero of this whole problem. I love Jordan Morris. I think he's a great. <laughs> literally, like we're Seattle talking, Sounders hat trick. U.S. men's national team is AIDS, and Jordan Morris is patient zero. That's oh, my analysis. <laughs> um, I liked him in qualifying in the twenty. Dude, he's good. Eighteen cycle. He's good. The problem yeah. is, instead of going abroad, he could have played for I think Werder Bremen. Werder Bremen offered him a contract at coming out of high school. Hmm. He said, "No, I want to go play at Stanford." Goes to Stanford, wins like three national championships, player of the year, like every year. Guys Must a legend. Must have been fun. Yeah, right? <laughs> but you could have been training in for Werder Bremen. You could be currently playing in the Bundesliga and being really good instead. What is he, 26? I think so, 26, 27. Yeah. So now all of a sudden it's like, actually, I don't know how old he is. Let's look that one up. I'm very curious. He's 24. My He's my age. 24. All right. That's still young. Right? So, like, Ish. he could have been for the last, right, but for the last, like, six years, he could be training in for a Bundesliga team. Wouldn't it be fun to see him go play an English championship? Yeah, it would. He's just not good enough, though. You don't think so? You think I that mean, probably not. MLS no. is worse than uh, second division England? I, I think, think so. I think that they're worse. The best players in the MLS would all be the best, some of the best players in the championship, no doubt. The problem is, is like the style is so different. The demands are so different. The seasons are so different. The pay Entire, is much lower. <laughs> the pay is much lower. So like everything's just different. So like yeah. you throw these guys in a totally different atmosphere, totally, totally different environment. I don't know how good a guy like Jordan Morris would do. You put Carlos Vela in the championship, he'd score 40 goals. Yeah, Carlos Vela is a Premier League player. Yeah, he was. He played for Arsenal, played for Barcelona, I'm pretty sure. Well, maybe. He did. He was yeah. there for a hot minute. Yeah, and it didn't go well, but, like, I mean, dude. But, like, yeah, look at this. Yeah, he for Barcelona. They wanted the US, you. The U.S. have a youth player at Barcelona right now named Conrad De La Fuente. He plays for their, one of their... I've heard like, of him. Yeah, he was plays it, for, like, Barca B, I think. Isn't he, like, 16? Yeah, he's young, but he's freaking good. Like... That's what we need. <laughs> yeah. Jordan Morris could be what Conrad De La Fuente is right now. He could be getting trained by some of the best clubs in the world. Instead, he went to Stanford and you then know, get drafted by the Sounders. So yeah. it's like... I wonder if he has any regrets. Jordan Morris, do you have any regrets? He's, with your he's always asked. He said no because he wanted to stay close to home. And his dad, he grew up in the area and his dad works for the Sounders. He's like their chief medical like guy. Sure. And, uh, Everyone knows which, who he is. He's fine. Which kind of sucks. Like, he tore his ACL last year. Imagine, like, yeah. tearing your ACL and then, like, oh, I'm going to go do rehab with my dad. Like, his dad yeah. is, his dad, like, is, the, <laughs> is, like, the main medical guy for the Sounders. So, like, he's just spending all day with his dad recovering from an ACL. I'd just get old. Maybe he's a homebody. Yeah, I guess. But, like, <laughs> for me, yeah, like. I'm sure he has regrets deep down. Yeah, deep down for sure. Because he could be thinking I could be playing in the Bundesliga. Look at Josh Sargent. Josh Sargent had the exact same predicament. He said, no, 
second I turn 18 and I can play get a professional contract in Europe, I'm going. And he did. And yeah, now he started. Uh, he's played in the last six Bundesliga games for Werder Bremen. He's got a couple goals, right? Two. Yeah, two goals. The first one was sick. Dude, it was sweet. And he's, <laughs> yeah. play, he's just playing so well right now. It's uh, it's it's that for me is I think where this all starts is you're right too many MLS guys but also the guys who are coming up through systems need to move to Europe and and Klinsmann was saying this for years yeah that's why he chose German American players who couldn't crack German teams to play for the U S instead of a bunch of you know, Klinsman was on to something. Maybe he wasn't the best coach, but U.S. he understood U.S. soccer development, and I appreciated totally. his rhetoric under, uh, as a U.S. men's national team coach. He should have ran for president for, US men, for the U.S. soccer federation. He would be such a good president. I know, uh, I know. What a, what a Cordero. mess. What a mess the U.S. soccer federation is. It's just disgusting. Yeah, it's, it's like depressing. Because I remember when it was like, we weren't, that much like the results we were getting weren't that much better like 10 years ago but at least i was like this team's gonna fight and claw and like yeah, yeah we might tie we have an american us, identity. we can go out there and beat germany if we really want to like we beat we spain could. we broke spain's longest ever international win streak in the history of soccer that's awesome and, and right like in a competitive game and then now we can't even beat canada it's confederations cup 2009 in south africa right yeah you nailed it do you know yeah. who we lost to in the final no. Brazil. We were up one nothing on Brazil in the final and lost. We were up one nothing. Yeah. We beat Spain, then we were beating Brazil. That's like, insane. Ronaldinho, Brazil. <sighs> yeah. Brazil has the most stack. If you look at their, their club teams on their starting lineup, they're the most stacked team. Yeah, and they'll never win a World Cup ever again, I don't think. Yeah. It's just too much pressure. 7-1 slaughter at home to Germany, right? God, that was... I watched that one. I was like watching murder on live TV. Yeah. I was, yeah. At home. Oh, it's so brutal. And it was just like, it all ha- was happening so fast. And you're just sitting here. You're like, what is going on? Like, is this real? Like, are these I think goals? David Louis- Luiz was on that team, right? Oh, yeah. It's David Luiz because they beat Colombia the round before. And David Luiz kicked this free kick from about 35 yards huh. that. Like, is just it. It's, it's ridiculous. So, if anyone's listening to this right now, stop what you're doing. Google Davi Luiz free kick in the World Cup. He bangs I'm, one from like forty yards, and it just zip like missiles into the corner. And you're just. I was at some pool party with a bunch of people who don't give a fuck about soccer, and I'm screaming at the top of my lungs. And people are like, "Did someone just like?" Like, die? <laughs> I'm like, no, David <laughs> Luiz kicked a free kick and it went in the net. Uh, Back when he had hair. Now yeah. he's balding. You see that? Yeah, that was a weird photo. It, I hate it. I wanted it was to cut his hair. Rain and he was balding. Oh, it's just such a bad visual for the guy. Poor guy. It really is. All right, so we're coming up on 40-ish minutes, so yeah. I wanted to get to MLS since yeah. we both got to get out of here. Yeah. Uh, so tell me about the MLS playoffs. I've been following a long single elimination. I have not watched a game, but I've been that's okay following. It's hard. It's honestly harder to watch MLS than it is the Premier League, solely because the Premier League is on in the morning. Nothing else is on in the morning. MLS is on while like the World Series or like like the Sixers are on tonight. Tomorrow is Thursday night football at the same time as the Union. So like all of a sudden people are like, yeah, I'm not gonna. But, sure. Yeah, so I actually went to the Union uh, Red Bull game 
Uh, if you don't know anything about MLS, Union Red Bulls don't like each other at all. Um, this was the Union's, I believe, their third or fourth ever playoff game. We've never won a playoff game. Hmm. It was our first ever home playoff game. I was traveling from Penn State that day. Five-hour drive. It's supposed to be three. <laughs> Extremely hungover. Did not eat a thing all day. I get to the game 10 minutes late. My dad and I almost say, let's just bag it because we're going to be late. We thought we were going to miss the whole first half. We don't. So we get in 10 minutes late. We find out the Red Bulls already won. And then next thing you know, it's halftime. It's 3-1. The next thing you know, basically, like, we start coming back. We come back to be 3-3 in extra time. Then it's 4-3. It's and then in extra time, we win the whole thing. And it was like the whole place exploded. And it was just the most insane thing ever. Because at 3-1 at halftime, everyone's like, oh, classic union. They're going to lose. They're going to break our hearts. You know, we always lose in big games, but they did. Overtime is insanely long. Was it 30? It's, it's two 15-minute periods, and it's just like, <laughs> oh. But the whole thing about they changed it from two legs to one leg. The beauty about that was in, when the two-leg system, it took like a month and a half playoffs. And the first legs were always like zero-zero snooze fests. <laughs> now it's like they're just going for it at each other's throats in 90 or more minutes, and it's so much more entertaining. Huh. Um, other notes, honestly, El Trafico, LAFC versus LA Galaxy is tomorrow night at 1030. That is going to be absolutely insane. The get-in price yesterday was $300 just That's to get awesome. into the game for standing room tickets. But sadly, um, I will be asleep. <laughs> I will have it on in bed trying to stay awake as best I can, betting the over because the last time these two played, there were five goals in the first let me see. Zlatan Five hat goals trick, right? in the first 16 minutes. Didn't Zlatan have a hat trick? Yeah, he had two goals. It was it was three it was three one galaxy sixteen minutes into the game. I love Zlatan. He's <laughs> I love and hate him. Who's um who are players in the MLS that you really like that should deserve a shout out? Um Alejandro Bedoya because he's my homie. Uh, union. Place for the Philadelphia Union. USMNT um, uh, stalwart for exa- a while there. Exactly. Um, I will also go Pozuelo for Toronto FC. He's like an underrated player who's just kind of come into his own the last year or two. He's a creative midfielder, attacking player. It's just like really, really good. Um, for Atlanta, I'm going to do a unique shout-out here. He's not the best player, but he's a young player who's like starting to become really good. Julian Gressel. He's an outside back slash winger sometimes for Atlanta, who's like uh, a really cool dude, first of all. He's like the man, and um, he's a growing star in the league. And then I'll go one more. Oh, this is tough. I'm going to say... Huh. I'm trying to think of something like creative. That I really... Take your time, man. I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> Uh, I'm They've listened gonna, this long. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm just going to go Vela because he's just – he's the best player in the league. Latan's unbelievable, but Vela can do everything, and he's just younger and better. And he's yeah. He's just the man, so. 29. I wonder where he'll end up. I – that's, like, such a big question because he could easily leave. I could see him going to Liga MX and playing for uh, – I think he the big squads there. Uh, America, so? 
Club America, uh, Monterey, a couple other clubs. I don't feel like listing a bunch of random. Uh, he was in Portugal for a while in his career, I believe. Vela seems like a good fit for him. Was Bella? he? Or am I lying? I don't know. I might be lying. I'm not a hundred percent sure. Well, if someone cares enough to fact check, go ahead. But uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll sure. get out of here. In, Do you have any final rants? He was in it? Portugal for sure. Yeah, no, totally. <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs> I've only been watching two years. Just throwing that out there for like the eighth time. <laughs> oh, that's great. Any uh, any final thoughts? Rants. Um, if you will, not not really. MLS Cup playoffs give them a chance. It's extremely good soccer. I take that back. It's not good soccer. It's entertaining soccer. It's it's not quality soccer, but I promise you, it's worth the watch. There's goals. There's fights. There's a bunch of fluky things that happen. Um, and I would say I just love the fact that soccer is literally every day of the week, all day long. There's literally soccer on every day you can watch. It's the best sport in the world, and if you don't watch it, you're just stupid. Yay! Woo! <laughs> I really like that. <laughs> yeah, no, thanks for having me on, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, of course, anytime, honestly. I'm sure we'll catch you before the end of the season, but oh, we'll say goodbye to you and Rooster and the Devil right now. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Welcome into... The VAR room. The VAR room. V-A-R. A uh, little diatribe from Brad here to supplement what I'm sure will be a lovely conversation between Jimmy and Maiko for the pod this week. Jimmy I had a scheduling Nico. conflict, so uh, had to do a little bit of a side gig here. Um, trying to compare my segment here to VAR in that it's unexplained and people don't really understand it. I'll try my best to avoid that. It also breaks up the flow of the main attraction, uh, in this case, Jimmy and Maiko discussing. So just like VAR, it jams up the flow and momentum of the game. And then lastly, a majority of people are upset with the results. So again, I'll try and resolve that um, and avoid that, but again, comparable to VAR in that respect. So moving on, though, I wanted to talk about Liverpool and United. Obviously a big result for United getting the 1-1 draw against Liverpool at Old Trafford. Um, I'm sure that many United supporters would have wanted a win, of course, but to, to take points off of a team that hasn't dropped points the entire year is an accomplishment, especially with this young squad and the way that United have been going. So probably a little bit of a relief for Jim. I'll be interested to hear what his takes on the, the match are. I probably watched half of it. Um, a couple of topics coming out of it is... Obviously, Ole, how is he feeling now? I was wine tasting up in beautiful Traverse City, Michigan. The colors are fantastic this time of year. The trees changing color. And I saw a gentleman in a United kit, and I just uh, wanted to pick his brain and ask him questions, see how he was feeling. This was in advance of the Liverpool match. And I asked him about Ole specifically, and he said, I like Ole, but you know it's going to be tough if he can't start to get a couple of results for him to keep his job, starting with Liverpool. So hopefully that supporter is feeling a little bit better, as I'm sure James is. Um, you know, they're playing the young guys, and Jimmy's talked a lot about this on the podcast, the fact that he's comfortable not even getting into a European slot if it means that they're building for the future through their young players. And you saw on the goal, which was a beautiful goal, by the way, um, follow against Origi, Give me a break. I don't know when VAR is supposed to, you know, VAR is supposed to jump in there. The 
the question and going back to it being unexplained is how far back can it go for a challenge? I don't know, but the goal itself was beautiful and it was emblematic of what Jimmy wants to see from this team. And that is the young guys. You saw McTominay with a beautiful release pass up to Daniel James, and then James whipping it across with a beautiful, beautiful cross to Rashford. All three of those players, young players. That's what Jimmy's looking for. So you got to be, um, you know, excited after that result. Uh, jumping into VAR on that, I know there was the handball for the Mane goal that was disallowed. I think that makes sense. I also think that the tackle on Origi earlier in the move doesn't play in. But again, who knows? How are they supposed to implement this? But it goes to the point about VAR, which is it's still up in the air and people are still confused about it and they've just got to get this right. You know, I, I read an article by Gab Marcotti from ESPN and while most of ESPN stuff is trash, this was a good one. He talked about how subjective VAR calls are and he pointed to the fact and outlined the fact that the referee is not involved in the decision when it comes to VAR. Why wouldn't you put that in the hands of the referee, right? What I've always been fascinated by is how much responsibility soccer in general across all of the major leagues, how much they give um, control to the referee. The referee really owns the game. They own the decisions. They own stoppage time. They own decisions on penalties. They own decisions on just your generic foul, yellow card, so on and so forth. So why wouldn't you have an on-field review where the ref could weigh in and take a look at what he thought he saw originally compared to seeing it for a second time and then making that call. I think that would be a big change for VAR. I don't know. I'd be curious to hear Jim's and Michael's take on that, but I think that would probably enhance it uh, and continue to give that control and trust um, back to that person who you're counting on for trust for the rest of the game in the referee. Um, so at any rate, United, great result. Liverpool, obviously not a huge deal for them as United, or, uh, City has already dropped some points. Not the end of the world for them and, and probably a bigger result for, uh, for United. Uh, to end things, uh, I wanted to talk about Spurs and then a quick rant. Um, Spurs, state of Spurs. Yeah, it's concerning. We've got Champions League coming up. Um, you know, this will be tomorrow. So this is before the Champions League match against Red Star Belgrade. I think Spurs are going to go to, to, you know, take it to them and probably win 3-1. And I think some, some fears will be calmed for the time being. I certainly hope so. With that said, their home form has not been good since moving into the stadium, right? They moved in in April. And there have been some stats thrown around on Sky Sports and a couple other places. One of them that was uh, pretty interesting uh, was a comparison from August 2019 to February 23, 20, sorry, August 2015 to February 23, 2019, almost four years, they looked at thing like, things like win ratio, shots faced, and you do see some differences. Um, so since February 23, Spurs are now facing 13 shots a game versus that four-year run leading up to February 23 facing 10. So three more shots a game. They're allowing... Um, more goals. Uh, they've got 1.29 since February, whereas the previous four years was 0.87. Um, they're creating less shots, only a couple per game. They're winning less points, of course, and their win ratio, of course, is much, much lower. And I think it's fair to say that there's been a huge dip in form. I think the end of last year, you had a lot of injuries, and that's why their form declined. But this year, you don't have as much of an excuse, right? You've got 
Um, some players who've been together for a long time and they're not performing, period, end of story. And it is confusing uh, when you look, again, if I'm looking at the negative side of things and reasons to be concerned, you thought some of these contract players would be playing better. And I don't think it's like the NFL when they are trying to get their next contract maybe as much and they really try and have a career year. But these one-year guys, I would think that they'd be killing it because they do want to be somewhere next year, whether it's Spurs or elsewhere. You've got Vertonghen and Elderverald on one-year deals. This is their last year of their deal. Same with Erickson, of course. And we've seen Erickson just be a ghost on the field. I've been incredibly unimpressed. Hasn't got as much playing time, of course, because of that situation. But especially Vertonghen and Elderverald, it's been very confusing why they haven't performed uh, better than they have Um, But to start making excuses for Spurs, you also have the talent infusion that hasn't been given a chance to be infused. Uh, You have Juan Foyt, who was supposed to be in this year at right back, got injured before the year even got started uh, in an international match, you know, struggling to get into the side, now finally getting back to health. Then you have the purchased players, Ndombele, who has had an injury, has been involved a little bit, but had an injury early on. Boselso, who's only seen, I think, one game of action against Arsenal for a little while before he got hurt on international duty. And then Ryan Sessegnon, who has, has not been in the team at all yet. By the way, Lo Celso apparently is supposed to be in the side today, so it'll be interesting to see that for Champions League. And then Kyle Walker-Peters, even, as a deputizer for right back, has been hurt as well. So I think... Pochettino wanted more, but he at least got some talent to infuse, and then all of that talent got hurt. So uh, if I'm making excuses, that's part of it. Another thing that's interesting to look at is that stat where they say since February 23, 2019, last year, when Spurs started taking a dip, if you look at Harry Kane and his injury history, you notice that he came back from a torn ankle ligament injury that he experienced in January of last year. He came back, and everyone said, boy, that seems like a little too early to bring him back. Came back on that date, February 23, that was highlighted in the Sky Sports statistics. So I find that interesting. I think they put him into the side because he always starts if he's quote-unquote fit, and Spurs struggled. He then got knocked out again with that similar injury on April 10, only a month and a half after that, and then you didn't have Harry the rest of the way. So that explains their form, at least from last year's perspective, related to Kane a little bit, Uh, and then this year I think it's more the talent infusion piece. With all of that said, big picture, they're five points out of a top four position. I know that it's been rough compared to last season. If you look at a points uh, through nine games comparison, Last season, points through nine games, 21 points. This year, only 12. So there's definitely a drop-off. It is concerning. But I also think this year is a little bit different when it comes to the Premier League. You still have the class at the top with City and Liverpool. But that next three through, say, 10 is really, really jumbled right now. And there's plenty of time, right? We're only a quarter of the way through the season, if you look at it. I think between nine and 10 games is essentially a quarter of the way through the season. You still have time to, to remedy the situation, to have the squad gel, to get that new talent in there. So I go back to my my ways, <laughs> and that is trusting Pochettino. I trust Pochettino to make this happen. I know it doesn't look good. I know the media is capitalizing on the failures right now, but I think you win this weekend, you get a couple of results strung together, and all of a sudden Spurs are going to kind of jump up that table and be into four or five position, and then we're going to be saying, you know what, maybe it'll be okay as we head into the festive fixtures. So um, you're also not dead in the Champions League. Today is only match day three of six for the group stages. They get a win, they're right back on track. 
So I still am preaching calm, even though I'm extremely concerned at this point. And to wrap wrap things up, I wanted to do a quick rant on how much ESPN is a whore. You are a whore, ESPN. Only three weeks ago, you published published an article about how Harry Kane was slowing down and whether Spurs fans should be discouraged or concerned about his performance and his potential going forward. You listed out stats about goal involvement and shot ratios. And only three weeks later now, today, I see an article about how Manchester United should go and buy Harry Kane, okay? Praising him as this generational player, praising him as this fantastic uh, attacker. Um, And I just think it's incredibly, incredibly obnoxious. It just cracks me up. He's 26 years old, and then they say he scored 122 goals in his last five Premier League seasons, 10 more than Manchester City star Sergio Aguero, Aguero over the same time period, making Kane the most consistent goal scorer of his generation. And I just find it so irritating. These are the only times that we hear praise often for Spurs players, specifically Kane, is when he's linked to United. Fuck off, ESPN. How can those two articles be accurate three weeks apart from each other where you're praising Kane as this incredible, and they even say transformative, transformative signing for United? I mean, it's just, it's just incredibly obnoxious and biased and shit, and it drives me nuts. Um, but that's ESPN for you. Like, what, what can you say? Um, that's, how, that's how it is. So at any rate, I do want to wrap up with a couple of stats about Harry Kane where you're saying he's off track. Um, club and country this year. He's been involved in an incredible amount of goals. He has 18 goal involvements for club and country in 14 starts. That is goals and assists combined. That's pretty damn impressive. And you say that this man is off track. He has five goals in nine matches in the Premier League and two in two in the Champions League. The man is not off track. The man is consistent as can be as long as he is healthy. And he's world class and a transformative player regardless of whether one of the big clubs is involved in trying to pursue him. So fuck off ESPN. Hope you enjoy the rest of the pod. Talk to you later. Like a buzzsaw ripping through your soul. Man City is here to take your throne. Helder.